You're listening to Consolidate That. Welcome to Consolidate That. Ryan, how are you today? I am doing really well. How are you, Ivan? Pretty good. We had uh, lots of snow and with the rain on top of it, so uh, Canada at its best. <laughs> you know, you just got, you got to go south of that border and come down here where it's the sun's out, it's warm, it's beautiful. Today's going to be fun, though, because we have had guests the past couple episodes that we've recorded, and it's going to be nice for us just to get back to the original gang and spend a little time chatting about some things. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to you today. Agreed. So what do we want to talk about today? I want to talk about the idea of whether or not practices can stay untouched and how that's going to fit within the value creation plans of different consolidators. So a lot of consolidators say that they're not going to be changing anything when they buy them. And some of them have been real successful at that. And is that possible? Is it true? Is it, are they able to actually do those things? Well, I, I think it depends on what are you articulating behind. We're not going to change anything. You know, I, th I think that when you're, when you're going and talking to practice and say, okay, we want you do you, you know, we're not going to change the brand. We're not going to change the title of the clinic. You're not going to have, you know, wear a uniform, but do we talk about all the processes? Do we talk about how is it going to work on the team? So I think it's all about the partnership model and the strategy that you're following and if you're consistent with it. Okay. So let me run through my brain here of, of the different possible models. You have de novo, so starting brand new clinics. You have brand building. I think that's the term that you and I like to use for, for starting a new brand and growing that. You have franchising. You have a full 100% ownership of the of the purchased and acquired practice by the corporate group. Then you have the partnership, which is a partial partnership, maybe 60 to 80% ownership by the original and former owners. So which one of those types would be able to be untouched and, and work with in that aspect? Well, I think there's a mixture. So some of these things, uh, you know, like franchise, that really articulates that you should be using certain processes, certain, you know, certain vendors and things like that. But there's a gray area in those that are fully acquired. Fully acquired could be with the owner staying. Fully acquired could be with the owner is sort of phased out in the first year, a couple of years. And then those partial acquisitions are also kind of a gray area because, you know, they could be acquired and then, the promise is that we're going to improve your margins. We're going to improve your EBITDA, your revenue, and all of these things, but we're going to, you're going to stay untouched. So, so that one usually confuses me because you're saying that we're going to help you with all of this stuff, but nothing's going to change. So my next right. question would be to that, you know, well, how are you going to do that? But again, the most important thing I think for the seller pre and post acquisition is that what you heard from the organization pre-acquisition that it stays the same with what they do after the acquisition. I think that's the most important. Great. So, so for the rest of the episode, we're going to be talking mostly about that 100% ownership by the corporate group and then the partial ownership. The idea that the consolidation has been really growing and it's been evolving, what do you think the ownership levels and then that change portion is going to look like over the next five years? So, you know, I think it's worthwhile to look back at what happened in the last 10, 20 years and just compare different regions. If you look at Europe, which is, we know that's that's been crazily consolidating and right now is north of 60%. And then North America, we see about 20. So there's, there's still, if we're going to be in the same 
level where the Europe is, there's 40% window that is still going to rapidly consolidate the clinics. Now, what we see in Europe is that uh, now arbitrage is not the only game that they have to play because right now for the next, you know, 40%, it's it's really about buying the clinics and you're looking more at the private equity firms investing into the domain. But as the smaller consolidators are looking to create the return on investment for private equity within their sort of three to five year window, then the home office capital is sort of taking over and then they're left with truly improving that margin through operational efficiency. So the character of what's going on will will change. So with those that are acquired to just be flipped in the next three to five years, yes, this intermittent owner for that period of time may keep their promise. If the only thing they will do, they will buy the clinic, plug in, you know, financial HR benefits, gain the efficiencies on, you know, all of those processes, and then not touch the clinic and then flip it to the next consolidator. And then the change needs to happen there. So in their message, they will probably stay true to their strategy, but for the most part, that doesn't happen. A lot of them are buying the clinics and then on to the sort of second, third year of organization, they understand that arbitrage was one side of it, but then they wanted to increase EBITDA. And how do you do that? Well, the most common ones is sort of manage the COGS, inventory, vendor management, and your marketing to increase the top line. Well, that's a change. So those are the changes that are coming down the line. And then someone says, oh, let's let's make PIMS the same because we can't get the data from it. Well, that's a huge change. So we know a couple yeah. consolidators that are really large that started with that message and then halfway the message changed. And there's nothing more frustrating to the seller when they sold it on one sort of narrative. They gave that narrative to their team and then they promised. They said, we're being acquired. I'm going to retire in five to 10 years, but nothing's going to change. You're going to be all great guys. And then a year later, the financial system changes three times. Then the PIMs are changing. Then the labs are changing. And then the owner stays there and he has to face these people that promise no change, but the change is happening. So that's why I'm putting emphasis on what you, you have to stay within the narrative that you provided during the acquisition. Yeah, I, I could only imagine how hard that is. I mean, just thinking about the lack of wanting to change things in your daily life in a non-integrated or consolidated business, it would definitely be difficult as you're growing and working with a lot of different ones. So would you say that the whole idea just comes down to how people go about and, and look at their change management structure? Or is there more to that? Well, change management is the big component of it. But I want to go to sort of, you know, my favorite topic of burnout and think about what happens through that transition and how that deceiving message influences people. Because when private equity is buying the hospitals and when the message changes, let's say if, if nothing changes and those vets that they bought the clinic with are staying, but if you had two associates and one goes, look, you promised me nothing will change, they change the PIMS, I hate this new thing, whatever it is, and then I'm gonna work for someone else. So now all of a sudden you don't just improve efficiencies and you know operational and and everything else that is associated with that but now you just lost the entire producer. Yeah. And that's a huge impact. So think about the burnout triggers. We talked about it in the past. And there's sort of six classic by Christina Maslach. So think of a lack of control as a sort of one of them. So you just sold your practice, you you know handed off your team and then you can't 
do anything, but the corporate is now pushing the change. And they're saying, well, you know, we bought 100% of your practice. We are controlling everything. So this is what we're going to do. And then you don't have control over that. The other situation is when the owners are retaining a large portion of equity in the hospital. And it sounds like a really nice promise to the veterinarian because everything that will be the, the arbitrage as well as the efficiencies, they're, they're incentivized. But... Mm -hmm. Then when the corporate comes with a change, they go, look, I'm almost equal partner of yours and go, you know, go hike. I'm not going to do this change <laughs> in my hospital. And that happens. We've heard this before. So that's, you know, lack of control, change in values. So the team now transitioned and then you, you're now looking at new core values that came from the organization. You can't just adopt them. You just, you know, your team is different. So that trigger, then insufficient reward because they drop all of these new processes through change. And then people feel like they are taken for granted for doing more work, but not being paid less because we're using the economies of scale and trying to, you know, to trim the non-vet labor. And then the work overload, of course, that's coming with that. And then unfairness, as well as the breakdown of community, because there's no feedback loop back to the corporate. You used to give feedback to your practice owners. And those are all six classic triggers of burnout that you will see with this sort of no change and then rapid change. Definitely. It comes a lot of those ideas there that people are expecting one thing, you pull the rug out from under them, and then it's very, very difficult and then once that burnout starts to happen, I know you've done some great research on it, but it's hard to reverse that, right? Is it something that once the ball starts rolling downhill on a lot of those things and and people lose that trust or that confidence in, in the place that they're working, it's really difficult to, to win them back over. I know we were talking, we always think of different books that we're going to recommend. And we were talking about one, which was Start With Why by Simon Sinek, which I think it was good, but I, I think I'm going to switch up my recommendation to How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Interesting. That one, that's an oldie. That's a very oldie, but you know what? They stick around for a reason. And I think that might be part of it, right? People need to feel really comfortable with whether it's, depending on the size of your group, but if it's the executive or the BD people that are making those first contacts, knowing that they're going to be able to be confident in what they're saying, because that those ideas, and we talk about the value creation plan, those ideas need to be really, really strategic and understood by all people in the organization so that the BD person isn't approaching a clinic to talk about purchasing them and then telling them nothing changes, getting them through the strategic filter, and then getting to the point where the executives are purchasing them, and then they're ready to change a bunch of stuff. So what would be the main process that you would put in place to, let's say you're a huge group and you've, you're 5, 10, 15 years down the road with dozens and hundreds of clinics, and now you're realizing that it's time to start changing some things and, and putting in place things that maybe are different than what you had originally thought? Yeah, and, and I want to I want to answer that, but I want to touch on what you mentioned there. When the when the BD is giving the message that is different from what's yeah. going to happen, and that is very important. We talked about the upstream and how it influences the downstream. That's the exact break between the two departments. And when you're growing really fast, and the message that the BD is delivering just to get incentivized by the EBITDA that they acquire, 
they don't really look at what's happening downstream in the integration and change management process. This is where the whole breakdown of trust is happening. And I like that you went into, you know, what, what's going to happen with these clinics. And, and what comes to mind, what you mentioned before is change management. And, you know, there's various books and courses and everything about change management. And, and I heard people, you know, writing songs to change things, <laughs> making t-shirts, let's you know, let's introduce this process. You know, we were one of the universities where we were putting smart flow in and they had this whole like and PIMS change. It was all, you know, textbook change mm -hmm. management thing, like literally invested into uh, one of them invested into creating a song about the management change management that they do. Do you want to sing it? Do you remember it? You could sing it for us. No? I don't know the lyrics and okay. it would be awesome. But <laughs> I think that change management is sort of the outdated way to approach it. And it's not that you shouldn't use the strategies that are included, you know, early wins, the change agents, the, you know, the celebrations, all of those steps are important. And then inform early, make it visual. But if you nurture the culture of continuous improvement, that radically changes how you approach these things. And what I mean by that is, you know, that comes from lean. And we've seen a lot of that when we've traveled to, you know, human hospitals that implemented lean. The culture of continuous improvement is, is it? part of the lean thinking. A, you, you respect the people that do the work. So you actually listen into actual care providers rather than pushing the change from top down. And you're giving people not the solutions, but the problems that they need to solve. And then you're asking their feedback on that. But then when you're allowing people to optimize things around their place of work, which they are the specialist in, don't tell the vets how to do vet job. Mm -hmm. And then when they get into the mode of inventing their own continuous change, that creates an environment in which people are looking for change. It's not that they're ready for change, but they're looking for change. And that completely flips the model and makes it really agile company. And then to your question about what's going to happen, you know, there's there's quite a few of the consolidators and a couple of really large ones that went on the premise of buying hospitals with no change. And what they probably are resulting in is the lower EBITDA than is in the clinics that just ripped the guts out and replaced the PIMS, the lab equipment, and then they changed uh, wellness plans, everything all together. And those are probably more successful. But... The sellers now can select from different buyers. It wasn't just like, you know, VCA, Banfield, and NVA, just, you know, three. Now there's 47 of them, and that's today, and maybe it changed from a couple of weeks ago that we, we checked that. So sellers now are looking for where do I want to be? And this is where upfront you need to not only say that we're not going to change anything, we're going to improve your back office processes. How? How are you going to do that? Or we're going to take care of veterinarians. How do you measure that? Show me how your organization measures that at the top of the organization at your balance scorecard level, not just your EBITDA revenue and the financial metrics, but how are you measuring the experience of the employees or how are you measuring the experience of the uh, customers? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the um, veterinary emergency group. David is awesome because they grew the entire culture based on the customer service and NPS yeah. of the entire organization is at the top of their you know, balance scorecard. That's the number that they're looking at. So when you're selling the practice or or for those sellers that are listening here, when you're selling the practice and the group says, we're all about people, just ask, how do you measure that? And my favorite actually is another one is when the organization says that our people love our group. You know, everybody who works here feels like they're in the family. My sort of the, you know, it's my, it's my test 
is to ask a veterinarian from any group and say, where do you work? And if you get the answer, I work in the Riverside Animal Hospital, you don't say I work at Benfield or NVA or VCA or Rare Breed or whatever consolidator it is. Mm -hmm. That means that they value the values of that hospital and they understand that they work in that group. But if they answer, I work for you know these bigger guys or the actual group, then you got your culture right. And then they they love you, they respect you, and they want to work there. Yeah, I never I never really thought about that. But when you are at a, a conference or something like that, you can tell there's people walking around and you're thinking, man, a lot of these people work for VCA, but a lot of them probably work for another really large group or, or something else that maybe they're thinking, yeah, I'm still with the Mockingbird South Texas Clinic or or whatever name, but exactly that's pretty cool. I think it's neat to think about the continuous improvement and and the way that that works. But going back to the idea of touch versus untouched, I think if you were just coming in fresh from never speaking to veterinarians, or if you were to just try and go about this with being a little shy or or scared to to shake things up, a lot of veterinarians might say well, I want to work with a consolidator that doesn't touch anything. I want to go somewhere where it's untouched and I can keep doing what I want. And it's this infusion of capital and maybe a weight off your shoulder to worry about payroll. But perhaps the idea of investigating further and if if consolidators as a group can get better about vocalizing what they are going to change and how they're going to change it with it with a real strategic and cultural assessment, that would probably be pretty nice too because people would then say, we are going to change things. We're going to be touching the way that your business works, but here's why, and here's the successes, and here's the team that we have, and here's the buy-in that we want from you. It's not just a top-down approach. So yeah. it's cool. I, th- I think people will probably, hopefully when they listen to this, but on both the veterinary side and the practice level side and the consolidation side, we'll, we'll find some value in maybe being additionally transparent about their their goals on each side when they're negotiating and discussing the businesses. Yeah, basically be specific. If you're if you're a seller, you know, be specific. You're not going to touch our practice. What what exactly does that mean? How do you measure success if you're not going to change anything or if you're going to improve the back office, what are you changing? Mm-hmm. And then for how long? Because if it is a short cycle PE firm, then you know, 3 to 5 years and if you plan to practice for another 10, the ownership will change and nobody will ask you at that time. <laughs> If, if they're going to change or not change. So yeah, I think it'll be a cool episode for some of them to listen. And uh, I think that that was a great question, Ryan. So I'm, I was happy to chat with you about that. Well, I appreciate it, Ivan. And I think our next episode, we've got some fun guests. And again, people that, that are listening, we've we've got two book recommendations today. Start With Why by Simon Sinek, and then How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. So the Dale Carnegie one, you might have to get a newspaper print because it's so old. But uh, From the library. From, from the, the library. library, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> Ask your great-grandfather if he has it, but it's a yeah. good one. So, Well, yeah. Ivan, thanks again, and thank you to everyone for listening. This was a, a fun little episode today. Thanks, Ryan. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com. 